welcome to Second World Problems, the first best world building podcast. This episode, I am Kurt and I am joined by Finn. Oh, how nice of you to actually pick someone. I didn't. I watched a video and I liked his hat. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a totally fair <laughs> thing about um, the, the thing we're doing today. That's a totally fair reason. Um, I didn't pick anyone because I don't want to be anyone in this in this particular um, game. Off to a good start. <laughs> sometimes it's because people have terrible lives and sometimes it's because the game is kind of, the thing we're talking about is kind of terrible. And this time it's kind of both. Um, so this week we're doing Greedfall, which Morgan has not played and I have. It has no world name as far as I know. Also, the wiki is completely useless because it's not filled in. So we're doing this mostly from my memory. It has a couple of major places, but the main one that is relevant is Tirfridi, which is an island that has been colonized by mainlanders, including the player character. That's right. You're a colonizer. It's all about colonization, baby. Yeah. So um, just some background. Greedfall is an action RPG game developed by Spiders, um, a production team that I've never heard anything about prior They're to playing French Greedfall. They're a production team. That does not surprise Apparently me. Apparently another game called Technomancer. And it's published by Focus, Ho- Focus Home Interactive and was released in 2019, so it's pretty recent. The game is set in an early 17th century styled fantasy setting. The player, alongside other settlers, mercenaries and treasure hunters, explore the island of Tierfredi, where the locals are fighting off invading settlers and are also protected by supernatural, magical, elemental sort of beings. The game includes combat, diplomacy, and stealth, like most RPGs. Um, The player's decisions influence and affect the game's story, sort of, as well as the relationship between the different factions established on the island. The player character is Desade, an indigenous child from the island of Tirfridi, whose mother was taken from the island by the merchant congregation. And... we're going to get into how this game is kind of iffy later on. Um, Desade was adopted by the prince of the merchant congregation's sister, so a princess of the merchant con- congregation, and becomes legate to the congregation and sets forth on a journey to Tirfredi to deliver the congregation's colony's new governor, his cousin Constantine, who is also a prince of the merchant congregation, but not the prince. The actual like monarchy structure makes zero sense. And then also to search for a cure to the disease that is inflicting the mainland, which is called the Malachor. And it's super gross. Um, Desade uses diplomacy to build relationships with nations who's, who've colonized the island along with the congregation and the indigenous tribes. The indigenous people have a close connection with the island, allowing some of them to access its magic and make connections with its guardian creatures. Desade eventually speaks with Enon Mil Frichtemann, the god or spirit of the island itself, and learns that the Malachor is caused by industrialization of the mainland and pollution, and that the indigenous peoples of the, on the, of the island can help repair the damage and teach the mainlanders to care for the land, as long as the island itself remains uncorrupted. Fancy that. Yeah. Oh my god, pollution's bad. <laughs> Who knew? I feel like this game has a message. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good message if everything else wasn't so <laughs> not necessarily greatly put together. It would be such a great game if they could hit every single nail on the head, but they don't, and that's what makes it an okay game instead of something From great. the outside looking in, I love the vibe. The vibe is I really, really good. The, like, the aesthetic pirate colonization, really not, and then you got armor with knights like kind of thrown in there. Like, really interesting. It's got a really cool aesthetic, yeah. um, and the graphics are really quite good. It's just like some of the game mechanics annoy me and then like some of the 
other stuff does not land in a particularly responsible way. Because you're dealing with colonization, so you have to be careful with what you're doing. Because, and that's the biggest problem with this. And we'll get there. Well, because we will... fun fact, colonization happened in real life. It did, and it was bad. And generally, we shouldn't do it again. Should teach people that it's bad. <laughs> colonization is bad. Yes. So, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the game is like super inventive because it's pretty a pretty standard fantasy RPG like it's very similar to other fantasy RPGs that you play it's just that it's got a very strong aesthetic which works in its favor that is different from those fantasy ones so it has sort of like a more of a period feel than a full fantasy but its main inventiveness I think is that it focuses on diplomacy rather than combat and um, so like most RPGs you're fighting all the time like you go somewhere and the same you do fight quite a lot in the game but you mainly don't fight people you fight like beasts like creatures that attack you and like you have options not to fight them like you can sneak past them and then you don't really need to fight as often so it's mainly focused on diplomacy it's really about building the relationships between the different factions on the island um, and having a good relationship with them so that way when you get to the end you can have a good end as opposed to a bad end oh is there different endings there are love different well, endings. there's only two but well sort of good there's ending like, bad ending there's a good ending and a bad ending and then there's different like good bad epilogues depending on your choices as a sum of the game um the game stumbles a bit in regards to its handling of colonization and racial sensitivity. I would say that it is problematic to choose a word having played the whole game. It's hard to, like, when you talk about it in retrospect, it's hard to, like, explain exactly why. Because when you're playing the game, you're like, ooh, I don't know about that when something happens. But then, like, you think back on it and you're like, yeah, I remember feeling that a lot, but I can't remember exactly specific moments, what happened. Yeah, yeah that made you me You just know like that, that that feeling came up quite regularly. Yeah. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, so it's a really quick game to play through, which I really enjoyed. It's pretty easy to follow gameplay. It's got easy to follow quests and a good storyline. Um, it's not as open world as it could be, which is one of the things that annoys me. I, It's sort of like a, um, like a Dragon Age Origins style where like you have like your central hub and then you just journey to places to each different hub. So you can't like... It's not like um, Odyssey or like Norm or like what's the other one that's really open world, like something like Cyberpunk or something like that, where you can just go go off and do yeah, your own you thing. can just follow the road and you will eventually get to the next town and you get to do stuff along each side of the road. Follow it's not a game like that. Follow. You can technically travel like like you can go via roads, but you get to a certain point and it says you're going to now shift into this area and then you get like a little bit of a stretch of road and then you hit the next it's like town. assassin's creed 2 where you like there was like the city yeah and you had the outside areas it's and then there was a glowing wall and it's like would you like to check yeah travel it's exactly to like, Montenegro like that or yeah. Monte the home yeah. base whatever yeah it's exactly like that so it's it's not it says it's open world but it's not really and other choices that really annoy me is that like there's no horses to ride so you have to run everywhere do and horses I, exist in this world they do not there's no horses how did they get so far without horses? They have like other big. They like, literally on the, carried I, so, us. <laughs> I know. Uh, so in the city, I don't know 
as as much because like you're not in the in the like on the mainland continent city you're not in there for very long only there at the start of the game and then you journey to the island on the island they they use like the beasts of the island and they have like these big like sort of cow sort of bull sort of creatures that they have but they don't ride them have horses they have caravans we would have industrialized faster Probably because Cause we, we would need like, to get we would places. have needed it because we'd have to walk everywhere like you have to in this game unless you <laughs> want to take a caravan. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's like no, you just have to run everywhere, and it's like sometimes I'd rather go faster on a horse. It's like I don't. It's like I will sometimes enjoy the journey, but sometimes yeah. I want to get there quick. Yeah. So fast travels but and vehicles are much. I love fast travels, but also like sometimes like fast travel isn't an option because like sometimes the area the areas are quite large, so you're just running. For quite a long time, just to get to another part of the area, and it's like, well, this would go faster if I had a horse. Um, but overall, aside from my horse issues, I probably would play it again. And if they did like a second one, not that there's like any room for that. Like the storyline closes, it's done. But I, I did enjoy the world despite my misgivings about some of its handling. So I would, I play it again, and make different choices, and I would play something that was similar. It was good. I enjoyed the aesthetic. It was just like some of the some of the story choices and the stuff just didn't work for me. But didn't land. Um, also, decisions don't always feel like they have weight. So they technically your decisions do affect the storyline. But the game is sort of pretty clear on saying like, if you make this choice, this is a good choice for the good end. So it's it like. In one of the parts, you have to choose who's going to be the next high king of the indigenous tribes. And they make the choice pretty easy about who you would choose because they give you this person who's wise and fair and who is happy to work with the humans but won't be walked all over. So with like the invaders, but won't be walked all over. So that way the island retains some independence and the indigenous tribes can continue their lifestyles uninterrupted. Or you can pick someone who is completely against the invasion and will slaughter you to get you off the island (laughs) or you can pick someone who is completely willing to work like with the invaders and will strip the island of its resources for for the good like the good value or get them with the invaders so it's like it's like obviously you're going to pick the wise and fair person who's going to be good for both sides so and then like afterwards it, the game validates that by saying oh yeah you were such a good choice and it's like yeah I know like <laughs> yeah, like and so because of that it doesn't necessarily feel like unless you're playing a specific sort of game like if you're playing a chaos run it doesn't feel like your decisions have the sort of weight like you're not given enough options to have like your decisions mean as much yeah that's a big thing these days like I found I've been doing a lot of like, like I it's like important decision. All right, I'm going to Google it. Yeah. Because like <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's not very obvious. Yeah. And sometimes what you click isn't exactly what they say and yeah. they'll say it differently. And it's like, well, I want the good ending. Like yeah. I had this with Valhalla a couple of times where I'm like, this is, and then it's like, oh, so the way it's a lot of, some of the times it's like, okay, my gut instinct, how yeah. I was role playing is correct. And sometimes I was like, okay, well, that's not what that says, but <laughs> yeah. okay. But then I found like, you compare that to like Red Dead and it's like, I feel like every decision I didn't, I never had to Google anything because I was role playing Arthur Morgan so perfectly. Yeah. And every choice was like, well, this is the choice I take. And yeah. I, I got the good ending. It's just, I feel like some games are like, try to trick you. Yeah. And also, they just don't like, or, yeah. they, or they just don't, or care. they just don't do enough. They like, just, they just like, don't invest enough in into making 
those decisions that will carry you through the game to the ending you want, but without making it feel like you don't have a choice about what you're choosing. Yeah. So like for a game so focused on diplomacy, it affects the character run if you're forced to like I was I always play a good run. I can't do a chaos run because unless it's a game that's made for chaos runs like if it's specific like you are now serving the evil people and your choice is either serve the evil people or die then it's like fuck yeah i'll serve the evil people as best as i can because i want to live but like if it's a game where it's like well it's diplomacy and i'm like well i feel bad about being a colonizer so i'm gonna make sure i have the best relationship with the natives possible and support them in everything because i'm the bad guy it just feels like the game is structured to be like your guy's a diplomacy guy so it's like if you're role playing what why would he pick the other two yeah like, ex- exactly like, it makes no sense it it's like no if sense. it comes it's like it's like you are a colonizer but you get to choose which one but it seems like are you a good colonizer? but it seems like you're a good co- it's like you want your diplomacy you want to be a good colonizer so it's like pick this one yeah oh i mean i suppose it, it sets you up to f- to want to be a good colonizer, but gives you the choice to be a bad one. But I don't know why anyone would pick to be a bad colonizer because you, the start of the game, you're like, oh, I feel, I feel bad about being that. a colonizer. Let's maybe let's try a different part. Let's yeah. be good colonizers. Yeah, exactly. Bad colonizing happened in real life. Didn't work very well. Yeah, let's, the game gives you the so, option like, to do it. I don't it like it when like, and like. Uh, the more you have like certain things, like the more you have charisma, the less you have to rely on certain things like that. You can always manage, if you build up enough, you can always manage to say the right thing to get what you want. But at the start, like sometimes you're forced to threaten people to get answers. And I just don't think that as a game that's based on diplomacy, that that should be the last option you have to resort to. And like, it should, it shouldn't come from a lack of dialogue choices. Like there should be something else you can do to get that answer before you have to threaten them. And sometimes there is, but sometimes they're just like, nah, threaten them. And it's like, no. And like I get that sometimes as a diplomat you have to be cunning, but that doesn't mean outright saying okay. But if you don't do this, I'm gonna put you in jail. Like, like, like at least if you have to be corrupt, make it like a little, like just little corruption, not like the like big obvious corruption that you say in front of your companions. <laughs> like I just, yeah. So some of the things just don't seem particularly well thought out in my opinion. But I'm not a game designer, so like yeah, that's mainly from like a player and storyline standpoint that that bothers me um as an rpg game you get to choose a class from three so it's not like super varied you either get to be a warrior you get to do technical which is sort of like um rifles and science or you can do magic it's pretty usual i picked magic because i like long range i prefer to be away and let other people fight up close and i also don't tend to prefer not to use guns in games because that requires that i have to aim usually and i'm not so good at that whereas magic you just press like the a button repeatedly and it just goes out of your hands and it hits people and you don't have to do anything magically goes the right way exactly um so you just stand back and you just continually fire like balls of light at people and well everyone else is getting like caught up with poisonous swords and stuff and you're just like oh no i'm out of mana hang on i'll help you in a minute let me get a potion um so like the witcher 3 and some other popular rpgs greedful has a has crafting menus which i used sometimes um and skill upgrades so you have an upgrades tree and you have like three different ones to do with like different sorts of skills so you have like a talents which is like jumping really high yeah well no yeah so it's sort of like you can, you can Dodge. Eight, eight foot vertically no. no um it's it's yeah yeah you you can get jumping so that way you can jump across ledges or you can you have to climb sometimes up rock faces so you can upgrade those and then like there's one which is sort of like 
one has like a charisma tree and then you have like your magic skill wheel which is where you get all your like weapons so technically even if you start as magic you can um upgrade into like dual wielding or like heavy weapons or rifles if you want um it's just like a big circle pretty standard yeah and then yeah you just upgrade so it's like they have three different ones depending on what you are and then different ones become a different available at different times. That way you can't always spend it where you want, which also frustrates me because it's like, no, I really need charisma right now, but you're saying I can only use it on my magic wheel. I want to <laughs> use it on my magic wheel. Got enough magic, I need more charisma. Yeah. Um, magic is magic in the game is for like for people who come from the continent is connected to light. It is not explained how, as I said, the wiki is useless because there's nothing on there. Just some soft magic. Um, I, I think it has to, I don't know. They do talk about like worshipping, like one of the factions does like ardently worship some form of light or divinity connected to light, but not Desade. Like Desade doesn't seem to have any particular, like you can say that you're, you know, in like into that stuff in order to like get better relationships with the faction who believes in it but like it doesn't like i don't know but he can use magic or she can use magic because you can play as either which is nice sort of like an assassin's creed thing where you odyssey thing where you can play as either gender yeah just the uh the new norm yeah which, which is it sh- which it should be and for uh magic for the mainland landers is connected to nature and then the spirit of the island there is no indication that Tasade can use magic because they are also from the island. They don't ever use the same sort of magic that Siora, the native companion, does. Even though they are the same. Like, they're both Ono Manawi, which is like they have the mark on their face and they're meant to be connected to the island. But um, Desade still uses the same magic as, like, like, the other mages who are from the continent. So that's... I don't know what's going on there. Just learning. It's not explained. And and as far as I know, magic has no further rules beyond that because it's never it's magic. never broached in the game and it's not broached on the wiki or anywhere else. To quote a popular bumper sticker, magic happens. It sure does. Um, so there's a number of factions on the island. So there's the mer- merchant congregation, which Desade is from. They are... Merchants, they trade stuff. That's their main thing that they're based on. Their flag is a golden coin. Like the dudes just love trading. Yeah. Um, there's the Knots, who are allies of the merchant congregation. Obviously, how do merchants move their goods if not by boats? So the Knots are like sailors. Um, they... Because dudes love knots. Yeah. <laughs> sailors do love knots. as in like nautical. Ah. Not knots. Ah, knots. I heard knots. knots. Both make sense. Knots. Um, like knots and crosses, yeah. but not. <laughs> <laughs> they have facial tattoos, which is cool. They have cool hats. They um, have a secret island somewhere where Ooh, they go to chill out, I guess. Um, and which they return to when they retire and things like that. Once you are not, you are a not forever. They have like a couple of different rituals. So like if you're born, like if any child who is born on a not ship becomes a not, like their family has to give them up um, as like an offering to the sea. And um, also they used to have like contracts with noble families and 
part of that contract could be like if you owed a significant debt to the noughts, they could take your child as a nought. Um, and that's Vasco's backstory. He was a noble child who was then taken by the noughts um, and raised on their ships. And yeah, eventually decides that he's quite happy having been raised as a nought. And- Sucks if you're like get right taken and raises not be give like seasickness and stuff. yeah so it's not it's not really for you no. but like it's for life yeah it's for life can't get out of it um there's the bridge alliance so like the merchant congregation is sort of like unsurprisingly f- french flavored like french sort of a like french english sort of european aesthetic the knots are just i would they're just sailors like i i couldn't they're not like really related to any specific sort of aesthetic aside from sailing but these also the bridge alliance they seem to be sort of like um like turkey byzantium middle east sort of um aesthetic so like turbans and sort of um stone like really um elaborate stone architecture and heavily invested in science which at this like at this in the 17th century that was sort of happening in like sort of turkey um and around that area they were like having quite a bit of um influence in the science sciences there's teleme which seems sort of spanish sort of um influenced they are very religious it's drawing sort of a lot of parallels to like things like um, Catholicism and Spanish inquisitions so they have like inquisitors and they have people burning at the stake in their square um, and then but like and they have mother cardinal so it has a lot to do with sort of like imagery of the Catholic church and um, Spain was a very Catholic European, European country there's the coin guard um, which Kurt is from they are mercenaries slash bodyguards slash soldiers they're sort of like a private army yeah they're sort of like a privately run army that is employed by by the merchant congregation and then also by the bridge alliance and teleme um but the merchant congregation i think employed them first so yeah they're just like soldiers for hire and then of course there's the islanders and they are native to tierfordy and they yeah, they, they hang out there and they, they, take, live there. they take care of the land and they sometimes clash with the settlers. Sometimes they don't, depending on their different clans. There's a number of different clans. They are all led by a chieftain or a mal, And then they are also ruled, all the chieftains are then ruled above that by a high king. Okay, so places. So obviously we've talked about Tifredi, so it's a previously uncharted island, currently inhabited by several factions of settlers from the old continent, as well as the, and I'm sorry about any, like, pronunciations for people who played the game. There is a um, word guide for the um, islander language on the wiki, but it has no pronunciations, and also it's not complete, so <laughs> it's kind of useless. But um, the Yektfredi, who are the indigenous peoples of the island, um, the rumor of a cure for the plague means nations across the world have their sights set on Tifredi and they all want to go there to find the cure. It is lushly vegetated um, and it has crumbling ruins from a previous attempt at colonization by the Merchant Congregation that the Merchant Congregation covered up because it was so terrible, so it went so badly for them. Um, and it's home to multiple islander tribes. So 
Its regions include the shore of Tor Bones, which is a coastal region within the island of Tiafredi. It includes high granite cliffs and is located on the southeast side of the island. There's the Red Woods, a forested area located on the north side of New Serene. The Vale of the Great Battle, a region very um, varied with landscapes that is located in the north and east side of Tiafredi. Countless ancient battles happened in this region. There's the Singing Waters, a coastal region that requires a settler to cross a river in order to reach the area. Its local inhabitants' ritual and beliefs revolve around the sea and the water. There's the Blacklands, a region that bears the mark of a terrible fire that ravaged the area, thus being called the Blacklands. Um, and then there's the Swamp region um, with a sanctuary in it, which you have to fight a guardian and it's not very fun. Um, so in something that was recently talked about in regards to signage within Australia, which is irrelevant, I thought of it because I was like, oh, we, we were talking about that not that long ago. But um, each region in Tiafredi, unless it is a colonised city, so made by the settlers, has, a, has its islander name and its translation. So it will have like, instead of just saying the Blacklands, it will say first the... First, the islander name, and then it will say the Blacklands. So that way you get both. So that's that's useful. It's nice that you're like, oh, so that that's that word, and that's what that means. That means lands, and that means black. Well, yeah, except the construction of the fantasy language in this is not particularly straightforward. It's no, it's no Tolkien. It's certainly no Tolkien. And as I said, there's no pronunciation guide or in the and the like the dictionary that's on the wiki is not very oh. good so whoever's running that wiki if you're listening get on you it, suck yeah do better <laughs> what are you doing so there's serene on the old continent which is home to the royal palace which has been consumed by the de- deadly malachor plague it is the home of the merchant congregation there's new serene oh, i wonder what that is it's named after serene it's um the colon colony on tier d um, it is in a constant stage of expanding and building. The cobblestone streets and rough buildings of New Serene is um, the starting point upon arriving on the island before setting out into the wilderness. It is south and coastal. There's Hikmet, which is located on the east side of Tiafredi, and it is the Bridge Alliance place. There's San Mateus, um, named in honour of Saint Mateus, the holy founder of religious nations, and that's home to the Teleme faction, which is west. So the Malachor is the plague and it's the primary reason for Desade and the others to journey to the island because they really need a cure but they don't know what caused the plague so they're just hoping that some of the like if they go to Tiafredi they'll just stumble on a cure like maybe in like the flora or the fauna they or were like, just like uh, the plague's pretty bad this island might have a flower yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it. yeah exactly that's exactly what they thought or they like might um find some way because like as like once they get there none like the malachor has never spread to the island and or to the the indigenous people so they're like well maybe oh, they yeah they know are something. immune um to this ma- for some reason sense. so like they're like and then science gets involved in it and it can get so it gets sort of nasty but um yeah they're just like maybe there'll be a cure they're like it's it's all we've got the Malachor is pretty gross looking in the game, um, as something that is as something that is called by caused by incredible pollution and the abuse of the natural environment for human greed should look gross. But oh man, it looks it's like it gives you like all these like it like makes your eyes go blind, um, <laughs> and it makes your veins turn like really red under the skin. It makes you really pale and you just sort of look zombie-ish and it's really gross. 
Morgan's looking it up now. Oh yeah, um, gross. Yeah. Zombie is yeah, good good description. Yeah, Oof, she does not look good. No, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it looks bad. Ugh. Yeah, that's um, Desade's mother. She's the first person you see who has it before he leaves for the island, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, no wonder you want to leave. Yeah, like, oh, gross. I'd want to get away from that <laughs> as well. Like, oh. Love you, mum. And then he kisses her head, and I'm like, oh, like. I was like, how does it spread? <laughs> yeah. As far as like, as far as after the year we've just lived, <laughs> why did you kiss her hand? <laughs> like, I know that the game is sort of positing that it's not spread person to person. Like it, it's something that happens like within the blood to do with like drinking the water and like living in a polluted place. But like, I was still like, oh, but like what? Like, oh, I'm still like, but you don't know and don't, don't kiss her. Like, yuck. So, hmm. Um, there's the guardians um, are creatures on the island which can bond to islanders who are trained as Donegad, which is sort of like their spiritual leaders and ritual keepers, um, and also like history keepers. They're sort of like the like wise people of of each clan, the I guess. Elders. Not necessarily elders, because young people train to be Donegad, but they're like the the keepers of culture, I guess, and like ritual, and they do a lot of like. Um, of their like ceremonies and stuff um so the denegad apprentice spills their blood before a stone in a stone formation and then the guardian lifts the stone into a standing position as part of a ritual binding ceremony so first they spill the blood to call the guardian if the guardian accepts them it will lift the stone into place and then that becomes a sort of symbol of their bond um and like if the stone falls something happens to the bond i assume denegad can eventually become nidag nidag um which are guardians in and of themselves but were crucially once human so like they're a normal guardian like there's guardians that are sort of like called forth presumably by the spirit of the island um in order to protect itself this is what the game seems to posit but as i said because the wiki's empty i can't confirm it this is just what i remember from playing the game or what i seem to have put together but the game seems to pose that Guardians were originally created by Anon Milfrichtemann, um, and there are different types of Guardian depending on the natural habitat they guard, so the mountain Guardians look different from swamp Guardians. But Donegad can also eventually become Guardians as well, and their physical human form changes into that of a Guardian, and they lose their sort of humanity and their consciousness, and they just become like part of the island. It doesn't seem like a necessarily good thing to want to become but also like the game doesn't necessarily say like well here's how you avoided it or it's like definitely going to happen or like it just seems like something that can happen to some Denegats is that they can become guardians for some reason um but it it doesn't seem particularly appealing (laughs) it does not um so the main character obviously is Desade Desade's companions are Vasco who is a not captain and also a possible love interest whether you're playing a male or female Desade there's Afra who is a bridge alliance scholar and a possible love entrance for a male only Desade there's Siora who's an islander mage who is romanceable again for both and then there's Petrus who's a telemope priest Kurt, um, who's a coin guard, bodyguard, and possible love interest for female only Desade. And he has a cool hat. He does have a cool hat. Um, Each companion has their own story arc, and if you complete all their quests, you get a good relationship with them, and that helps you have a better relationship with their faction. 
um, and depending on who you take along on certain quests, they can sort of help or hinder you. Um, so like, for instance, whenever I went on quests that had to do with Islander interests, I wanted to be on the Islander side, I would take Siora because she is the Islander represent representative within the group. So Makes I would sense. take her. Not always good because sometimes there are quests that like need you to do slightly bad things in order to get a good end, even for the Islanders. So like taking her sometimes on those isn't necessarily good, but I'm still like, but, but it's, it's your people, so you're going to be here. <laughs> Constantine. So Constantine is Desade's cousin, not by blood because Desade is adopted, but um, the son of the Prince Dorsey, who is the Prince of the Merchant Congregation. He suffers from a lot of self-doubt and belief that his father hates him, has basically been taken, being sent to the island as New Serene's new governor as being exiled. Um, but he has a very close relationship with the Sade, which is like, it's quite nice in the game. Like, it's just sort of nice when he comes up and he's just like, oh, like I've had a really bad day, but it's so nice to see you, darling. Like, I'm so happy you're here. Like, you, you're just so good. It's so good to see you. Tell me all about your trip. Like, and even though you know it's going to go bad, even though you know you're still like Robert Constantine, like I just, you're just such, like, he treats Desade like, like family, but like really close family, and it's just nice, even though you know it's gonna go bad. So Constantine catches the Malachor pretty early on in the game, because obviously it's pretty obvious his oh, how no. his story beats are gonna go, making the search for the cure more important. There is then like a coup with the Queen Guard, and you have to like sort of save everyone including Constantine and the other factions like leaders uh he is as part of like his cure for the Malachor decided goes around trying to find different doctors from each faction who might be able to cure him um one of the islander shamans medics healers ritually bonds him to the island in the same way that they bond Denegad to slow the progress of the Malachor but it also transmits it to the island and because Constantine isn't an islander it also affects him so he grows increasingly power hungry goes around corrupting guardians and eventually tries to destroy the island become the island's new god Aww. yeah it's 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 like <laughs> you know it's gonna it's happen tragedy you know it's gonna happen from like the start you're like oh Constantine ain't gonna make it and like, you're like <laughs> and then you're like he's gonna turn evil <laughs> like as soon as he gets afflicted by the Malachor you know like oh Desade is gonna do some shit to try and save him because he loves Constantine oh they love Constantine and and then Constantine's because he's so like he's been raised in the merchant congregation culture because there's sort of this like like the game the game in a way leans into the idea that just because Desade is from the island they are better in tune with the island and therefore they're not as susceptible to like the greed of their actual culture which is not necessarily true and the game does sort of if you want to take a bad end it does say well maybe they are susceptible but the main story arc sort of says no but Constantine was raised in this culture he's power hungry he wants to have his own empire um so yeah he, he goes a bit crazy um and it's not good and it and it sucks because you like you're watching it happen and you're like no <laughs> no yeah and you get he, he like because he looks bad he looks really bad when the Malachor starts you're like oh you look 
really bad and then he does the they do the ritual and then he gets taken by the high king because the high king's like oh no you're corrupting the island that's bad so he tries to like imprison him in in like the island in stone so that way he can't do it anymore but you have to stop him because you think no it's Constantine. he's my cousin i love him he's not evil and you're like but he is evil <laughs> just start <laughs> open your eyes but he is can't you see he doesn't look good he looks he looks he looks know, evil. he looks a bit crazy he looks like he's going a bit crazy and you're like oh, okay and then once you get him back he's he, like he heals a bit from malachor he still looks quite bad though like he's like he doesn't have the blind eyes anymore but his eyes are like golden and he, he grows like a crown of like twigs from his head and you're like that's not the look of someone who's a hero <laughs> that's the look of someone really that's who's, the look he, who's going bad <laughs> that's a that's a bad look that says i've taken something that doesn't belong to me and now i'm infected with magic so that's his story then there's Enon mil frichterman who we've talked about a bit before but he is the god i say he because he's given a very deep male commanding voice but it's a spirit so like think what you want. whatever but he's the god slash spirit of the island um in the sanctuary in like his specific sanctuary which you go to at the end to try and stop constantine and like sort of figure out what's happening it is like they are just a disemb- disembodied voice that seems to come from an old large tree and i think you also hear that voice in a vision earlier on but i'm not sure if it's related to a tree or not but that's the main imagery is just a big tree with a disembodied voice that's like constantine's bad <laughs> he's killing me he wants to become the new god of this he island. wants to become the new tree yeah i was looking online while i was doing some of this like the prep for this episode and like i was reading like some of the people's like do you think Enon on was telling the truth and i'm like does it matter? Because, <laughs> like, they're like, I think that, you know, it, you know, Constantine wasn't doing that bad a thing. Well, like, not necessarily that, but they feel like, you know, Frickton was lying for his own gain. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, because the Malachor's bad. Like, it's <laughs> killing him. Like, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't want to die. I'm like, and they're like, he's just an old god who doesn't want to die. And it's like, well, okay, but Constantine, I'm not necessarily sure you want that as your god either. Like, Enomil Frichtman seems pretty chill, aside from the fact that he doesn't like it when Constantine infects him with the Malachor. Other than that, he seems mostly fine. He just hangs out in his sanctuary and chills out. And, like, as long as the settlers aren't doing anything too bad and they aren't disturbing the guardians too much, then it's not really a problem, is it? But, like, Constantine seems like he's going to be like... Constantine seems like he's going to be like, no, I'm going to build my empire out of the ash of this place. So, like, it's... This is only the beginning. Yeah. So I just don't understand people who are like, "Mm, N.L. Milfrichtman was probably lying for his own gain. And it's like, well, yeah, but who cares? (laughs) So, like it's a, the game is still obviously saying, but pick the right choice. Kill Constantine, save it on Milfrichtman. Don't join Constantine. That's bad. And I've played both endings. You know what? It seemed like a bad choice to join Constantine, having played both. <laughs> what happens after you join him? Just nothing. Just no. So okay. So I'll give you my two epilogues from when I played. So when I played the first, I only went. I was lazy. I haven't played the game a second time. So what I did was I went back to my save, save before yep. I did the last fight. And I did the last fight again and made the choice to join Constantine. So the first time I did it, I killed Constantine. The island was saved. The islanders start working to cleanse the continent. As far as I know, Desade stays on the island. 
Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure all the companions stay on the island with Desade in that particular grid end. Uh, I romanced Vasco, so um, Vasco, instead of going back to, back out to sea, decides to say, stay with Desade um, and commit to their sort of relationship, although they do go sailing together at times, you know, having a happy, like, sort of honeymoon sort of thing. And um, Siora becomes, um, like, second leader of her clan alongside her sister, so, um, and, like, everyone gets, like, a good happy ending. When I chose Join Constantine, um, we... I believe we destroyed the island to a degree. Like we didn't destroy, destroy it, but like it definitely things got definitely worse. The islanders are said to eventually accept their new gods, um, but things are bad, and that um, they don't really like it. They just don't want to die. Um, the mainland, the continent, just goes to complete shit. And Vasco, because obviously it pays more attention to the person you romance than your other companions. But Vasco sails to the North Island brokenhearted and never leaves again. Oh, sad. Because you, like by joining Constantine and betraying everyone, you completely destroyed him and his life. And I'm like, yeah, this is a bad end. I don't like this. <laughs> Go back, unsave again. So the game is sort of set in a 17th century style. So... Um, it's heavily inspired by 17th century Europe and it's filled um, with Baroque art, which was the sort of uh, art style, really popular art style of the time. So the term is often used to refer to the six, uh, 17th century is the term um, used to refer to the 1600s because the century is always one ahead of the actual years. So the century between January 1st, 1600 and December 31, 1699. It falls into the early modern period of Europe and in that con- um, and in that continent was characterized by the Baroque cultural movement, the latter part of the Spanish Golden Age, the Dutch Golden Age, the French Grand Siècle, I think that means great century, the scientific revolution and the world's first public company and mega corporation known as the Dutch East India Trading Company. And we know a lot of good came from Absolutely. that company. By the end of the century, Europeans were aware of were aware of logarithms, electricity, the telescope and microscope, calculus, universal gravitation, Newton Newton's law, laws of motion, air pressure, and calculating machines due to the work of the first scientists of the scientific revolution. So it, that that's why the game is so like heavily invested in the idea of like science, even if you don't choose a like specific choose to be like a technical a technical playthrough like um the bridge alliance is hugely focused on science um and that's why you have afro on your team and there's a lot of like moral quandaries to do with like the lengths that science would go to and whether or not it's ethical because <laughs> obviously ethics and science even in fantasy they've decided that ethics and sciences don't exist yet just like they didn't in the 17th century really um so the baroque um, is a period of artistic style that started around 1600 in Rome, Italy, and spread throughout the majority of Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries. In informal usage, the word Baroque describes something that is elaborate and highly highly detailed. The Baroque style is characterized by exaggerated motion and clear detail used to produce drama, exuberance, and grandeur in sculpture, painting, architecture, literature, dance, and music. Baroque iconography was direct, obvious, and dramatic, intending to appeal a bubble to, to the senses and emotions. The use of chiaroscuro, 
Technique is a well-known trait of Baroque art. This technique refers to the interplay between light and dark and is often used in paintings of dimly lit scenes to provide high contrast and dramatic, dramatic atmosphere. So you know how you have those paintings where it's like they'll have like a really dark sort of background, but then like they'll have like a figure and it'll be like half in dark, and then they'll, but like their light will be really, really bright, intense. Um, the clothing in Greedfall seems to take its inspiration from the latter part of the century with lots of injections of like swashbuckler vibes. Like it's very sort of like, it's it's like it sort of gets a bit of a like a informal pirate sort of influence like you've got the you've got the um the big hats with the feathers and the plumes and you and you've got the long the long coats but they they were still sort of tended to be wearing like um like breeches and like not tights but the other ones um in sort of parts of the 17th century whereas they've gone from like a more traditional pants vibe and a pantaloon pants and a waistcoat and a long coat Love long coats. Yeah, the coats are pretty good. Um, the technology and science in the game doesn't break the pseudo time period. So, like the navigational instruments used by the Nauts, which come up in one of Vasco's quests, would have existed and been used by this time period. So, the astrolabe and sounding having been around for a while before the 17th century. So, that's all reasonably like you know, tracks. Yeah, it all tracks. You know, just like, yeah, that makes sense. But also, like, they're like, they're they like, didn't, they didn't not, so it's like not a, like a GPS. <laughs> yeah, they're also like not like um, in the game. They're like, oh, knots use magic, and then like Vasco's like, okay, but you can't tell anyone. But it's not magic. We have an astrolabe. That's how we do it. We track the stars via an astrolabe. It's not magic. That's how we know where we're going. <laughs> and he's like, but you can't tell anyone. I love that. It's like we figured out how to map the stars, but we're gonna pretend like everyone just thinks it's magic. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're like, they just look at the sky. Because then and anyone, anyone can. That means anyone can yeah, do it. Anyone the can be do. a nought. Yeah. And then it's not a not a special thing anymore. Yeah. And it, it infringes on their business practices. <laughs> so that that's because like you can't tell anyone. Just imagine a world where navigating by the stars <laughs> is a corporate secret. <laughs> well, it is. They're like, oh, the knots are magical, and they're all like, yes, yes, we are. Um, okay, so we twist this, so we look at that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know where we're going now. And then they just throw some glitter in the air and they're like, yeah, I've got it. Magic. <laughs> that way. <laughs> so colonization sorry, is part of, you know, a big part of the game. Um, it is bad, but the game doesn't necessarily do a great job of communicating that. So um, colonialism specifically is defined as control by one power over a dependent area or people. It occurs when one nation subjugates another, conquering its population and exploiting it, often for, often while forcing its own language and cultural values upon its people. The concept of colonialism is closely linked to that of imperialism, which is the policy or ethos of using power and influence to control another nation or people that underlies colonialism. Western colonialism was a political economic phenomenon whereby various European nations explored, conquered, settled and exploited large areas of the world. By 1914, a large majority of the world's nations had been colonized by Europeans at some point. So um, whether colonialism is sort of like a type of colonization, colonization is a very broad term. Um, Some of the things that define colonialism don't necessarily make its way into the game in that it's still about colonization, but like the amount that you could argue that the settlers are exploiting the natives depends on how you're playing the game. So it's, it's, it's it's colonialism light 
it's still bad. It's still awful. Um, and it does make the game in some ways not great as well. But it's also like not the most horrific thing that it's not the most horrific example of how we've actually done it in real life in this world that we live in. It's at least like a, it, it at least has like the, if we find the cure, we'll go and also we're going to try and not do as much damage as like, we're going to try and do as least amount of damage as possible to this island that we're going to and the people that live there. It's trying to be good. It's just, it doesn't always hit good because it's dealing with a subject that is bad. So the age of modern colonialism began about 500 following the European discoveries of a sea route around Africa's southern coast in 1488 and of America in 1492. With these events, sea power shifted from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic and to the emerging nation states of Portugal, Spain, the Dutch Republic, France and England. By discovery, conquest and settlement, these nations expanded and colonized throughout the world, spreading European institutions and culture. And they did it to Australia too. We're a colony. So. Uh, yep. Still feel like it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done so good. We haven't done so good. We tried, but we haven't done so good. <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to escape um, and a hard thing to sort of move on from too. Like it leaves scars that reverberate through time. But also like I think people feel like they're removed from it, but we're not we're still sort of dealing with the aftermath of that event, even though it happened a long time ago. Um, yes, it's not always good um, to ignore the past. Sometimes you have to acknowledge it and work for it to create a better future. Positive. Very positive <laughs> outlook. Um, so high kinging is a thing that I want to bring up because there is a high king in the game and it sort of comes out of nowhere. You're like, oh, high king, that wasn't introduced before. Okay, we're in the second act now. So the concept of high kings seems to be mostly discussed in regards to Irish history and myth, but example of high kings exist all over. Um, a high king is a king who holds position a position of seniority over a group of other kings. King of kings. Without the title of emperor, correct. King of kings. So they're not an emperor, they're just a king who sort of like sits on a council of kings, but is the king who everyone has to listen to. Um, the high kings of history usually ruled over lands of cultural unity, thus high kings differentiate from emperors who control culturally different lands and feudal monarchs where subordinates assume lesser positions. So high kings only really happen in a land that is of the same peoples as opposed to lands that are ruled by someone but who might be, but might be comprised of different peoples. High kings can be chosen by lesser rulers through elections or be put into power through um, by force through conque conquest of weaker kingdoms. In regards to Ireland, there were many kings throughout Ireland, but most of them reigned over small areas and had limited power. There were no large cities, towns, or villages in early Ireland, and smaller rural communities were known as raths, wooden huts clustered around a central meeting house and surrounded by earthen walls, while larger fortified communities were called cashels, stone forts. The Raths would submit to the lord of whatever kingdom they were in, who ruled from a cashel, and these kings would protect them, lead them in a time of war, and participate in public religious rituals. The concept of a um, king evolved from tribal chiefs to lords of a region, and then to a single overlord of those lesser kings and princes. This overlord, who is said to have presided over all of Ireland, was the High King. This king was the embodiment of the people, and his coronation is thought to have included a ritual mating with the goddess of the land to ensure fertility and prosperity. Sounds fun. 
Yeah, sounds like a one hell of a party. High kings from literature include King Arthur from Arthur, you know, Round Table. King Agamemnon from, you know, Troy, the Iliad and Troy and stuff like that and the Odyssey. He, I think he appears in that as well. And King Peter the Magnificent from Narnia. <laughs> um, a more recent, more uh, potent idea. I'm sure many people, more people know about King Peter the Magnificent, surely. They're like, oh, yes, he is High King of all Narnia. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, have I been reading something? And I was like, oh no, Elikar's not a high king. He's just a king and then they have high princes. Yeah, they have high princes. He is, is not different. a king. No. No. I mean, Galavar sort of becomes sort of like a high king, but not. He won't accept a position, but everyone listens to him. Yeah. Interesting. Now we get to like the things that I've been trying to express, but I'm bad at expressing. So now we're going to bad express them for a bit longer. Representation. I always appreciate when there is multiple and non-heterosexual romance options in games. There should be, if you're going to include romance options, they should be varied and they should cross the diversity of spectrum. I should be able to romance a fridge if I want to. <laughs> that, I don't, as funny as, as much as that joke is, I don't, is not really in the vein of what we're campaigning for. <laughs> yes, it should cross the the spectrum of diversity because people should be represented in video games too, not just straight people. Greedfall is alright, but it's obviously more focused on Desade and forming relationships diplomatically throughout the game rather than having like a huge variance of interpersonal options. It's no Dragon Age Inquisition where you're like, where they're like, you can romance seven different people. And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas this is like, you can romance like two, depending on your gender. And I'm like, ooh, that's a bit reductive, <laughs> but I guess it's something. Um, yeah, it's more focused on like you building relationships with like the factions as opposed to building relationships with people so that way you can have a cutscene with them later. <laughs> However, the game also depicts indigenous peoples of color and has, um, I would consider, rather limited options for how Desade can look. That's they're not necess- Those two things aren't necessarily connected. It just it bothers me when your character options are also limited. Um, I think you should have a broad... If you're going to have a character creator... Have have a broad range one. Make it, have a yeah, big one as broad as possible. Yeah, you know, you your aim is to make it so broad that Monster Factory can create exactly. an abomination. That is it. exactly what. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it should be. Um, they've tried to offset some of the issues of colonial invasion by the fact that Desade is also revealed to be an Islander child whose mother was taken from the island, and he was, they were, like Desade was born on a not ship. Um, given the limitations on character design, it can feel a little bit white saviory if you play a light skinned Desade. Because they don't, obviously, that's a plot point that you don't come up with until you start playing the game is that you are, Desade is from the island. So if you're playing a light skinned Desade and a lot of the um, desi- character design for the islanders is people of color. It just feels a bit From wrong. From the trailer and other videos, I got a very like Native American vibe. Is that this, or is it kind of broad? It's 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 not specific um, designed. It's it's sort of like a mesh, I would say, and then it's they've put a fantasy twist on it. So they haven't designated a specific sort of people that they've based the islanders on, um, like the way they've sort of done with the other factions. It's just like a bit. Yeah, vague. Yeah, vague. I think they were trying to cover their asses. Yeah. 
which is i mean it's you'd want to in a game like this yeah so it isn't necessarily the fault of the game it's just that because the islanders have been designed to look a certain way and when desade's mark is commented on the game um as saying like oh you've got our mark you look like one of us um and so they say desade looks like an islander it doesn't necessarily work if desade looks as european as constantine does where do they let you do that because it's not even like he had uh, a parent of each. He yeah. was already on the island and was taken. Well, I'm not... I don't... See, that's the thing. I don't remember who Desade's father was. I know that they talk about it. I know that Petrus was in love with his mother, but I don't think Petrus had any relationship with his mother. Yeah. I think his father is an islander, so it doesn't yeah, really make sense. It's not a Connor Kenway situation. No. It would have been make more sense if it was, but... Yeah, I just it just seems like a strange choice yeah. to make, and then it then sort of affects the gameplay because if you're playing it for the first time, you don't know that, and then they say that, and you're like, oh, that's a bit. You're like, it just it just doesn't feel right when you're playing it. You're like, oh, I wish I'd made different choices, but I didn't know this was how this was going to go. Like when I played it the first time, I was like, oh, what's that mark? Like that's because I was doing the characters, and I was like, yeah. that's mark. And I was like, oh, I can't get rid of that. That's weird. I don't know <laughs> what that weird. is. Oh well, slider whiter than white. <laughs> Well, no, I, I use... Just like me. <laughs> That's not true. Um, I usually go for like a medium tan so, because I would... That's how I would like medium to be. Tan. Medium tan. It's good. Tan. It's a good one. Because like, then I'm like, well, I can be medium tan sometimes, <laughs> but not always. I'm going for my summer vibe. And yeah, I, exactly. I go for my summer look, my summer board, the summer board <laughs> I want to have. Yeah. So... But it does seem weird that you can basically make Desade as white as a ghost. Yeah, that's That just seems very strange. Um, And yeah, and you don't know what that mark means. You're like, why can't I get rid of that? That's weird. And then you go to the island, you're like, like, I suspected it immediately. I saw Siora and I was like, oh. Everyone has that mark. Why do they all have that Well, not everyone. It's just mainly Siora and like the other Denegads. They have it because they've had, their descent, usually it's by descent, the Denegad, I think. So like they have a parent who was bonded and then the mark is a sign of that bond to the island. But I was like, oh, Desade is from the island. Oh, yeah. I was like, I hope, because I, like, I was thinking, I was like, man, this game could be really problematic, but I guess you could offset it if Desade was from the island somehow. And then I saw the mark, I was like, oh, I bet, he's, bet they're from the island. And then they're like, they are from the island. I was like, okay, but I already made my character design. Like, it's already done. And I, I and it should like, be like <laughs> at that moment they're like, "Do you want to edit your well, character?" You and you'll can, be like, "Yes, yes." I think there is a device in which you can edit your character, but the thing is, like, I made it to be like, like I, like I'd already sort of grown attached to the way that yep. he looked, and I sort far of enough made it in that you were like, "Yeah, this is this is my design." I was like, "This is who he is," and I was also like, "But I was like, I made him to look sort of hot in the way that." <laughs> My aesthetic of hotness. Like, I made him to look hot for me because I'm playing it. And if I was decided, I'd want to look like this. And I was like, but that's not <laughs> right in terms of the story you're giving me. So I just think that's that's a problem um, that you can't escape. So basically what I'm saying is if you're going to play this game, keep in mind that decided is an islander. So if you're doing character design, if you make him or her white you're going to feel bad the whole game so just be prepared for that 
Um, I also think the game has some issues with how it explores a colonial setting in that while it is a bit hit and miss when it deals with sensitive issues like religious conversion and persecution, because it focuses on that because Tulemi is sort of a very vigorously religious society and then the na- like there's natives, which is not a word I like. It's the word that the game uses, though, and therefore conversion camps. It's just not... I understand that those things are real and that they happened and they definitely happened in the time period that the game is set, but it's also fantasy. And I just feel like it's not necessarily bad that they have that representation, but if you're going to have it, you have to handle it well. And I don't necessarily feel that they do all the time. So things like that, and then also racial bit of racial stereotyping with the Indigenous peoples. Um, I find it hard to balance the perspectives in the game like part of the game is fostering diplomatic relationships with various people who may have different views and if you're playing an islander focused game to be the best i've sort of said this before but to be the best non-intrusive settler you can be the game will force you to make compromises and it's really hard to get away from the fact that the game is necessarily by its by the fact that its storyline is made this way. It's pro settler. You can't condemn colonization, which is bad within the context of the game, because you're playing a colonizer. So you like you. I mean, to a degree, yes, you can play it and be like, "Oh, that is bad. That's bad." But like, you're playing the game. You are still part of it. So it's like if it's built within it, it's really hard to condemn something like colonization so i just think that there's issues that you need to be aware of with this game um and it's not going to be for everyone because like there are plenty of really good fantasy rpg games out there that don't deal with content that's as um divisive as something like this um so i'm gonna talk a bit bit Standing Stones. Do you know about Standing Stones, Morgan? I don't have that much on it. Only but... what you told me that you make the bond and stand okay. them up. Yes, and then so... when the bond breaks, they fall down. That's maybe. exactly why we're talking about it. Um, not within the game, because the game doesn't give you any more than that. That's we're it. going That's to all... the half-written Wikipedia. We sure are. No, we're not even going there. There's nothing on Standing Stones in the Wikipedia. We're just going to talk about the ones that exist in our world. Oh, sick. Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so stone circles are found all over the world, although most are in Europe, like Stonehenge. Um, there are a number in Great Britain and Ireland, and several have been found in France as well. In the French Alps, locals refer to these structures as Maru Barats, which means pagan garden. I haven't done French in a long time. Um, in some areas, stones are found on their sides rather than upright, upright, and these are often referred to as recumbent stone circles. They just have on a bit of a rest, a bit of a lay down. Um, a few stone circles have appeared in Poland and Hungary and are attributed to the eastward migration of European tribes. Many of Europe's stone circles appear to be early astronomical observatories, so generally a number of them align so that the sun will shine or the moon, I guess, will shine through or over the stones at speci- in specific ways during different times of the year, such as like solstices and like equinoxes. So that way, they're a way to like mark time, but also like observe, well, not necessarily mark time, but observe like astronom- astronomical phenomena. There has been much speculation about what the purpose of stone circles are, but scholars believe that stone circles served several different needs. In addition to being solar and lunar observatories, there were likely places of ceremony, worship, and healing. In some cases, it's possible that the stone circle was also a local social gathering place. So, like, we don't really know what they were for, but they're there. Just and they're uh, big Friday and... night, heading down to the stone circle with the boys yeah, for have, a drink. Have a bit of have a bit of wine. 
sit on a recumbent stone, look at the stars, wait for the equinox, say, oh, that night was longer than all the others. <laughs> Good to know. Go home. And I know that because of the the stone, the way it moved around the stone set. <laughs> Something like that. Um, so yeah, we like, but they look cool and we like them. And we go, look, people, people good on you. And they go and they yeah, look at we, the stone circle. We, they go, Druids probably did something here. And the scholar next to him goes, Druids didn't probably do anything here. But why did people think that? Oh, it's because it happens every episode of Midsummer Murders. Um, Is there a lot of Druids in Midsummer Murders? Oh, there's a lot of Druids. <laughs> That's wild. There's a lot of Druids. A lot of, and yeah, a lot of like weird like equinox and autumnal and weird festivals. Druids and incest are the two mainstays of an Midsummer Murders episode. And I never knew. Suddenly, I, I, <laughs> the, I'm interested to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I love Midsummer Murders. It's just it goes places. You're just like, oh, we're going there, and it's Can like, you just yeah, imagine, we sure like, are. Any other show just being like, uh, like, oh, this person was murdered. It's like, oh, Druids. <laughs> like NCIS yes. or something. Yeah, or like, Druids. Yeah, CSI. No. Like, it's Midsummer. There's so many Druids. I think. Midsummer is just all druids. There's not a single normal person. They're just well, not normal, but like they're just all druids. Just full, full druid habitation. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, we're gonna shoot an arrow at the sun as it rises to renew the land and make sure that they can have sex with their own sisters. That's an episode. <laughs> Don't and even then they know get shot to... in the back with an arrow. Wild. Um. Highly recommend Midsummer Murders if you just want to watch a bit of fun. Um, so sacred groves are another thing that are sort of big in that nature is very sacred on the island and they have all these sort of natural meeting places or um, natural ceremony places that often feature things like big trees or their standing stone circles or like stuff like that. So sacred groves feature in mythology and in the mythology and cult practice of many cultures. So the Greeks worshipped in sanctuaries located according to the nature of the particular deity, either within the city or in the countryside. A sanctuary was well was a well-defined sacred space set apart usually by an enclosure wall. This sacred precinct, also known as a temenos, contained the temple with a monumental cult image of the deity, an outdoor altar, statues and votive offerings to the gods, and often features of landscapes such as sacred trees or springs. So there was always some sort of natural thing involved whether that be trees or water many temples benefited from their natural surroundings which helped express the character of the divinities for instance the temple at sunion dedicated to poseidon god of the sea commands a spectacular view of the water on three sides and the parthenon on the rocky athenian acropolis celebrates the indomitable might of the goddess athena the sacred groves of ancient greece were designed for the specific purpose of linking the sacred realm of the gods and the profane world of humans the terrain occupied by a grove was carefully delineated as separate and different from the landscapes of ordinary life. Here, special rituals took place that re-established the connection with the untrammeled nature that human beings had lost through the work required by animal and plant husbandry. One of these retru- rituals was animal sacrifice, a pa- practice that turned the fruits of human labor into a gift to the gods whose natural realm is chaotic and wild. Celtic peoples also believed to have included sacred groves or nematon in their rituals of worship. Many cultures not only had sacred groves, but sacred trees as well. Now I'm going to talk about a bit about nature spirits because Greedfall has like guardian spirits that are sort of nature based but look crazy. And now we're going to talk about how people in the real world conceptualize nature spirits. The answer is usually naked. Um, 
Many mythologies feature conceptions of spirits or creatures tied to nature. So Greek mythology has nymphs, which include dryads and naiads, nereids, oreads, basically anything ending in iad to describe whether a naked lady was coming out of a tree or a pond. So dryads and oreads were the nymph of trees, groves, woodlands, and mountain forests. They were the spirits of oaks and pines, poplar and ash, apple and laurel. For those known as the hamadriad, dryads, hamadriads, a tree was born with her birth to which her life was tied. While the tree flourished, so, does it, so did its resident nymph, and when it died, she passed away. So there are several types of dryads associated with particular trees. So you know what tree to look at if you're looking for a certain sort of naked lady. Of the- course. <laughs> I'm really feeling oak tonight. <laughs> uh, I was just listening to another podcast. Um, uh, it was about Agrippina the Younger, and it was on... Um, you're dead to me which is a like a history comedy podcast um and dr emma southen was talking about a guy called Posanius, i think who was agrippina's second husband um and he had a kink in that he liked to um fondle trees and give them wine to get them drunk and kiss them and that's just now, hey, now i'm thinking about that no kink shaman whatever that was his thing and maybe it was a thing for the ancient greeks too we don't know um the Melali were nymphs of ash trees. They were born when Gaia was impregnated by the blood of castrated Uranus or Uranus the sky. Um, They were wed by the men of of the Silver Age in the time before the first woman was created and from them them mankind was descended. So mankind is descended from... Nymphs? Trees. Ash trees. Ash is actually a really popular tree for like conceptions of like world stuff like the isn't um idrisil usually an ash tree as well so So it's like a really popular tree for like longevity and stuff to do with myth so the oreads were nymphs of mountain conifers the eldest of these were the daughters of the five dactoli and five hecarides subsequent generations were descended from these elder oreads and their brother satyrs so satyrs and then trees nymph trees had more nymph trees so it was I there's just like a note from the thing I was looking at these from that says in ancient Greece most forests were located on the slopes of rugged hills and mountains and the majority of the lowland forests had been cleared for farming so therefore it's natural for the Greeks to think of dryads as mountain dwellers as opposed to like meadows um, the Hamadryads were nymphs of oak and poplar trees they were usually connected with riverside trees and sacred groves the Epimelides, I don't know, were nymphs of apple and other fruit trees and the protectors of sheep. Or they're also known as the mal, what looks like maladies. Um, The Greek word malus, from which their name derives, means both apple and sheep. Hence, apple and sheep. Makes sense. The diaphani were nymphs of laurel trees, one of the class of rarer tree specific dryad. It's weird that there's rare dryads and then like common dryads like your everyday dryad and then your you know well, it's like, yeah, special just dryad. a tree or an everyday tree but like a rare tree a rare tree that's a thing um others included the nymphi igori so black poplars ampeloi um grapevines balanus of elix which is not a tree i've ever heard of um carii of hazelnut cryonii of cherry trees Morii of mulberry trees, 
the tile of elm trees and sky, sky eye of fig trees. Many of these nymphs were associated with a broader domain, so Oreads were nymphs of the mountain, Alcides of sacred groves, Olenides of glens, and Napii of vales. So, like, there's a, like, trees had dryads, but then nymphs had areas. <laughs> just like, landscapes. How, I guess they had a lot of spare time. Like, this is a lot of <laughs> them to just come up with. Well, also, like, they, they didn't know, how, like, they were just like, oh, yeah, no. They, like, a lot of, they were just like, well, surely these trees have souls or, like, spirits or something. Like, there and has to be, be like something tree in souls, them. But they were like, no, let's subcategorize every <laughs> tree soul. It's like, all right. Well, they <laughs> That's were what like, you want to do, man. I'm going to go. Well, they have to. They'll be like, I heard a story, like, Apollo inspired a story in me last night that I've had to write down in this poem meter for you. Um, it's a story uh, about how he... I guess it was he, all the arty people, right? He's, he's a story of how him. he fucked a mulberry tree. And then someone will say, oh, I heard that story from Apollo last night too and I had to write it down in a poem, but I swear it was an ash tree. And then they get in a fight and then they're like, no, 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 it was this tree, it was this tree. But though, if they didn't have the names for those trees, they'd be like, well, I know it wasn't that tree. It was that tree over there that we don't have a name for. We're going to call it this. It just sounds like Apollo's going around fucking a lot of trees and then... Uh, Telling everyone. <laughs> um, he does have a lot of tree-related myths. I think the main one is that he didn't get to fuck the tree because the tree was a nymph um, who he wanted to fuck. And then she said, I really don't want to do that. Dad, you're a river god. Please turn me in a tree. It was a laurel tree, yeah. So that way he can't touch me. And then Apollo was like, oh, she's a laurel tree. Well, let me just take Thor's leaves off her and form them into a crown because I can. I believe that's how it's going. It's been a, it's been a while. I haven't brushed up on Apollo's myths in a while, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, either way, he was a bit of a fuckboy. As they all are. You don't want to be his interest because all his lovers die. Or turn into a tree. I'm pretty sure that still counts as death. It's like that chick who got turned into a stone. Like I don't think you're still alive if you've been turned into a stone. Yeah, fair. You just... You're just a tree. You know, like, I'm pretty sure she wasn't even, like, like she might have been a water nymph. Maybe, like, she clearly wasn't a tree nymph because she got turned into a tree. But I don't think she turned into a tree that is also able to be a naked lady. Um, so there's the apple tree man in English folklore. You've probably never oh, heard of him. I don't know. It sounds familiar. Yeah, but he sounds pretty cool. So the apple tree man is the spirit of the oldest apple tree in the orchard and with whom the fertility of the orchard is thought to reside. It is said that every apple orchard has its own apple tree man because he would oversee the blossoming and ripening of the fruit and look after the farmer's fortunes to ensure a good crop. He would spook and frighten anyone entering the orchards around harvest time who were intent on stealing his apples. Many others have recalled positive meetings with this spirit. There are tales of the apple tree man rewarding one man who offered his last mug of mulled cider to the trees in his orchard on Christmas Eve and the apple tree man revealed the location of buried gold to him improving his prospects quite considerably. So he seems like a pretty chill dude. He's just a spirit who's he's just an apple protecting. Tree man. He's just he's just he's just that old apple tree man. Nothing wrong with the apple tree man. Um in Slavic mythology there's the Leshi, um, which is a demon god and tree spirit who protects and defends the animals of the forests and mar- marshes. Mostly benevolent or neutral to humans, the Leshi has aspects of the trickster god type and has been known to lead unwary travellers astray. The Leshy is also known as the Old Man of the Forest, and Russian peasants send their children to him to be taught. 
When he has the appearance of a man, his eyebrows, eyelashes and right ear are missing. His head is somewhat pointed and he lacks a hat and a belt. Which is a weird thing to point out. Like he he specifically doesn't have a hat or a belt. That's cool. I don't know why he wouldn't. Yeah. All right. He lives alone or with his family, a wife named Leshichika. I'm really sorry. Who has fallen or cur- who is a fallen or cursed woman who left her village to reside with him. They have children. Some of them are theirs and others are children who've gone missing in the forest. Cult sites de- dedicated to the Leshi are known in sacred, are known in sacred gr- trees or groves. The Leshi feast day is celebrated on September 27. When the Leshi resembles an old man, he's an extremely, he's extremely wizened and covered from head to toe with long tangled green hair or fur. As a giant, he has stars for eyes, and as he walks, he causes the wind to blow. His skin is as rough as the bark of a tree, and because his blood is blue, his skin, skin is tinged with that colour. He is seldom seen, but often heard whistling, laughing, or singing among the trees or marshes. Some stories describe him with horns and cloven hooves. He wears his shoes on the wrong feet and doesn't cast a shadow. In some tales, he is tall as a mountain when he is in the forest, but shrinks to the size of a blade of grass when he steps outside. In others, he is very tall when far away, but reduces to the size of a mushroom when he is nearby. Leshy is also a shape changer who can take the shape of any animal, especially wolves or bears, who are the receivers of his special protection. People who are kind to the Leshy when they meet are often recipients of gifts in folktales, cattle attended for poor peasants, and princes are guided on quests and find their proper princesses. Leshy is also prone to abducting babies who have not been baptized, or children who entered the forest to pick berries or fish. He leads people astray in the forest, getting them hopelessly lost, and he's been known to drop into a wayside tavern for a visit, drink a bucket of vodka, then lead his pack of wolves back into the forest. What I want to know is, are the wolves inside the tavern with the leshy? Or are they outside waiting for him? I think they wait for him. They wait patiently for him to drink his vodka. His bucket of vodka. Yeah, and then, and then they then go then back. They go about their business. Because they would be very disruptive inside the tavern is all I can think. Um, people who are finally annoyed, who have, who find they have annoyed a leshy or find themselves lost in the woods are advised to make the leshy laugh. Taking off all your clothes, putting them on backwards and switching your shoes to the wrong feet generally does the trick. You can also drive them away by prayers alternating with curses or apply salt to a fire seems pretty good i mean i enjoy that all it takes to make him laugh is to take off your clothes put them on backwards and put your shoes on your feet backwards like that's i just love that like, that's easy wait a minute <laughs> Ta-da. <Ta-da. laughs> yeah <laughs> good one yeah see ya <laughs> sounds like a great dude have you ever seen uh what's it called the studio ghibli movie princess mononoke no Okay, so then you won't know about the Kodama. But it, the Kodama appear in that movie. They're super cute and creepy, and I love them. But um, in ancient times, Kodama were said to be kami, nature deities that dwelled in trees. Some believe that Kodama were not linked to a single tree, but could move nimbly through the forest, traveling from tree to tree. Still others believe that Kodama were rooted like the trees themselves, or in fact looked no different from other trees in the forest. Woe betide any unwary woodsman who took an axe to what looked like a regular tree only to draw blood as he chopped into a Kodama. A Kodama's curse was um, something to be feared. But they are also a sound. Echoes that reverberate through mountains and valleys were said to be Kodama. The sound of a tree crashing in the woods was also said to be the plaintive cry of a Kodama. In modern times, this mountain echo is associated with the um, Yokai Yamabiko though and not the Kodama. 
Whatever form they took, Kodama was said to be possessed of supernatural power that either could be a blessing or a curse. If Kodama were properly worshipped and honoured, they would protect houses and villages. Kodama that were mistreated or disrespected brought down powerful curses. Now we get to Scandinavia and Germany. Love it. We're just Love doing a couple of different... We're doing a ones. world tour. Not quite, because oh. we're only going to like three different places, four <laughs> different places. But yeah, lots of cultures have ideas of like what nature spirits are. But these are the ones that I mean, sound good. It's nature. <laughs> I'm sure they they grew up. They were they existed around nature, so I'm yeah. sure it was very prominent in a lot of their folklore. But not, I mean, not all cultures like have like animism in this way, where they give it sort of like a spirit and a persona. So the Scandinavian Nakin, Nokin, Storm, Carlin, Grim, or Foss Grim were male water spirits who played enchanted songs on the violin, luring women and children to drown in lakes or streams. The enthralling music was most dangerous to women and children, especially pregnant women and unbaptized children. They were thought to be most active during Midsummer Nights, on Christmas Eve, and on Thursdays. Not sure why just Thursdays, but that's that's their that's their work day. They work Midsummer's Night, Christmas Eve, and every Thursday. And I want that. When malicious um, Nacken or Grim Foss or whatever you want to call them attempted to carry people off, they could be defeated by calling their name, which would kill them. Calling their name literally kills them. How do you know their name? I don't know. Steve. Oh, shit, <laughs> you I'm just dead. call out different names until you get it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how it works. They were also an omen for drowning accidents, so they could scream at a particular spot in a lake or a river in a way reminiscent of a, well, it says the loon, which is weird, but um, and on that spot, a fatality would later take place. They are avid shapeshifters and may appear as humans, sunken treasures, or horses. Um, one could show himself as a man playing the violin in brooks and waterfalls. They're often imagined as fair and naked, as is usually depicted in art, because artists love to draw naked people. Um, in actual folklore, they were most like more frequently wearing more or less elegant clothing. So in like oral tradition, they'd be wearing clothing, but in art, they're naked. But also could appear to be treasure or various floating objects or an animal, most commonly the form of a brook horse. Uh, Fossey, Grimm, and derivatives were almost always portrayed as especially beautiful young men whose clothing or lack thereof varied widely from story to story. When they take the form of horses, they are pure white or apple grey. Though they are far more beautiful than average horses, they still bear telltale signs of their true nature, having manes full of river reeds or constantly dripping water. If properly approached and you brought them um, a treat of three drops of blood, a black animal, some Scandinavian vodka or wet snuff, dropped it into the water, he would teach a musician how to play so adeptly that the trees dance and the waterfalls stop at his music. It is a close parallel to the Scottish Kelpie. The brook horse that they can become was often described as a majestic white horse that will appear near rivers, particularly during foggy weather. Anyone who climbed on its back would not be able to get off again. The harness would then jump into the river, drowning the rider. The brook horse could also be harnessed and made to plough, either because it was trying to it was trying to trick a person or because the person had tricked the horse into it. The horse might be lured into the field by a beautiful maiden and then forced into the plough's harness by men with silver or iron. Early legends hold that dropping a piece of silver or iron into a next home can silence it while you safely cross the river. The creatures can't bear separation from water for a great length of time. If they don't return to the water regularly, their spirits and powers will become depressed. Eventually, they might perish from their longing for their river or lake. In the 19th century, Nixie in, or Nix in Germanic folklore, which are sort of 
related to the neck um, were considered water sprites who tried to lure people into the water. The males could assume many different shapes, including that of a human, fish, or snake. The females were beautiful women with the tail of a fish, so sort of like mermaids. When in human forms, they could be recognized by the wet hem of their clothes. The Nixie are considered as malignant in some stories, but harmless and friendly in others. There were um, many famous Nixie in dramatic folklore. One was the famous Nix Lorelei. According to legend, she sat on a rock at the River Rhine, which now bears her name, and distracted fishermen from the dangers of the reefs with the sound of her voice. Some stories say that their features might hint at their wilder natures. Their ears and eyes are sharper than than usual. Their hair and skin might be tinted green or blue. In more extreme cases, they can have gills, bulbous eyes, and webbed hands and feet. Their garments, though stylish, are chronically wet around the hems. So that's a couple of different spirits. Usually you find them most related to either trees or water because those are two very important things generally as part of the landscape. And yeah, that, that sort of finishes up everything. I haven't gotten anything written for Philosophy and Worldview this week just because I sort of covered a lot of my feelings about this game in our representation section. So I'm just going to leave it blank. Morgan, having heard everything about sort of Greedfall, which, I mean, I know you chose to be Kurt at the start, but which faction would you be a part of? I don't know, the, uh, not Bridge Crew, Bridge Alliance. Bridge Alliance, the scientists. Uh, They seem pretty, pretty chill. Yeah. Um, definitely not the, the Inquisition guys. Yeah. What's the main, like, what's the one you're from? The Merchant Congregation. The Merchant, they seem all right. Although, uh, you know what, like, I would, (laughs) Pirates, cool. Do love Pirates. Maybe a nought. I reckon it'd be pretty cool to be a nought. But like, if it was, if I could be a part-time nought, like, yeah. I don't like the whole like give your life. That yeah, you serve for life. Yeah, I that's... mean, technically, Vasco gets to stay if you romance him. If but you still like, go out sailing. Like, you're st- not not nauting. No, he does still go out sailing, but he takes um, Desade with him. So like, yeah. I guess it's it's like the perks of the job. But yeah, it's, it it is for life, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, I guess them. I don't know they. It's cool. I like the cheekiness of like, hmm. we have magic. Wink, <laughs> wink. And they get face ta- really cool face tattoos. I do love a face tattoo. Which I, I haven't really mentioned, but they are sort of like mm, derivative of like what looks like Maori sort of tattoos. So that seems like a bit potentially like culturally problematic, inflammatory. But it looks cool. Yeah, I, I don't want to be anyone <laughs> in this. And like if like I, I just, it seems wrong to like... Like I would probably choose to be a knot, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be a knot forever. So like, therefore, I choose no one. Part-time knots. Here Part-time we come. Knots, yeah, we can. Yeah, we'll just do it every so often. Yes. Um. I also haven't thought of any recommendations just because this particular game isn't a class of its own, both in its problematic qualities, of which I can recommend very little that's in that vein. And it's not necessarily a typical fantasy setting, so it's sort of hard to think of something that's sort of also a period piece that I haven't already recommended because we've already talked about like um, uh, Shades of Magic, which is a period one, um, and I've already recommended The Lies of Locklamora, which is also sort of a period one. So I just don't I really have much this week. If you can think of anything from uh, based I, on this, I know the video I talk about watch. it a lot. But Assassin's Creed, <laughs> specifically number three, Actually, I think yeah. does a very good job. It has an interesting look at colonization, really mm. I think. 
I think it well, it's handled better than what you. Yeah, I would say that it's. It is. It is more. not it's, like it's late. Well, it's a bit. It's easier it. because, as opposed to it being a reveal that you are part of the indigenous peoples, you are very part aware. Of, you are just <laughs> the part of the yeah. indigenous peoples. I think that helps. That it's from that point of view. Yeah, I would recommend it. I would say that it, in that view, it's a better look because you are part of the people who are being invaded, and you are part of that culture as opposed to being taken from that culture and then coming back to it. Yeah, that's actually a really good recommendation. You're welcome. I can't think of really anything else. So I guess that brings us to the end of the podcast. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, go watch Chronicles of Narnia. Actually, yeah. <laughs> if you're, I mean, it has nothing, very little to do with this podcast except for the fact that Peter is High King, King of all kings of Narnia. But you know what? The old BBC movies, we grew up on those and they were... Technically, great. if you go back to the very first book, Narnia was colonized. That's true. So there you go. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, we'll be back again uh, next time. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining me. That was directed at you. Oh, audience. right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you thank were you saying that Thank you for joining me, Finn. <laughs> um, thank you for having me, Morgan. Thank you for joining us, audience. There yeah, we go. Thank I'll you, I'll be listeners. very clear from now on. <laughs> See ya. This has been a Spiky Trap Radio production. For more Spiky Trap Radio content, please head to spikytrap.com.